Coming up on AARP, The Perfect Scam, part one of our two-part episode. When Publishers Clearinghouse awards one of our major prizes, and we award those throughout the year, we contact our winners in person, just as you see on the television commercials. Our prize patrol shows up with their van, with a big check, a bottle of champagne, and flowers. If you're being asked to send money, pay taxes, Homeland Security fee, customs fee, any amount to collect a prize, you know it's not real, and it's certainly not from the real Publishers Clearinghouse. It was almost like cultish. It was like somebody had gotten into her brain. She is now, you know, not going with her friends, not trusting the people who love her. She gave up because she she had a really strong will, amazingly strong energy will, and then she didn't. Welcome back to AARP, the Perfect Scam Podcast. I'm Will Johnson, and I am back again for a fresh batch of scams and frauds, all new shows with my co-host, the AARP Fraud Watch Network Ambassador, Frank Abbey. Now, Frank, how are you? Great. Good to be back. Good to see you you again. Yes. Uh, Our first round of shows, I got to tell you, after doing those and having a few weeks, a few months to hear feedback and hear from people and people who've been listening and family and friends. I know a little bit about what it's like to be Frank Abagnale, just in the sense, a tiny, minuscule amount that people come up to me and ask me, tell me about fraud a lot and scams in their own lives. I mean, and I remember you mentioned in the first, in one of our first shows, uh, you know, you get into a taxi and that's what you hear. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing to me. And I can see the popularity of the show simply because so many people were scammed. So many people uh, believe they're being scammed and most of the time they're right. Uh, And they're looking for a resource to explain to them what's going on or how do I protect myself from being scammed. Uh, So I think there's a lot of lot of people from all walks of life, not just seniors, from all walks of life that want to know, you know, how do I protect myself from someone stealing money or my assets from me? So I think this is a great resource that's never been before. So I'm really glad to be part of the Perfect Scam with ARP. I think it's great that we can get these messages out to people. Well, you're a big part of the draw, uh, I will tell you, and people who were able to, who listened to the shows, uh, we're, we're really excited to hear your feedback and all the stories you told us. We've got a lot more to talk about, so I'm really excited to get into this this next round. Uh, we have stories about, a story about a senior drug mule, in an infamous worldwide psychic scam, also an outdoorsman comment, and a whole lot more. So okay, I, ho- I hope you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you are. Okay, are you ready for uh, our, our, our story this week? Absolutely. I'm going to tell our listeners and you about a, a really cool, amazing woman. Her name is Valerie. She's active, social, the mother of six children, was widowed at 39 and did her best to raise thoughtful, caring children. Her kids are now scattered around the country. One lives on an island in Maine. Another is a single mom raising a daughter in Brooklyn. Another still lives in Newport, Rhode Island, where the family grew up. But they're united by their love and care for their mother, who has moved to Florida where she's healthy and happy. Valerie's daughter, Allison, owns an art gallery in Maine. She was very independent, very strong-willed, very um, able to take care of herself, um, smart, creative. Yeah, she was very, and I would describe her as very happy and contented with her life. In New York, Allison's sister, Abby, describes her mom as doing well in Florida. I mean, at first she was just... Um, going there in the winter, and then she really came into her own, I think, in Florida. She met a lot of um, like-minded people and in her church and really, you know, intelligent people, and I think she just really felt comfortable there. Was your dad, has he passed away, or were they divorced, or were they together? Uh, my dad died when I was 11. Abby was still um, in utero. <laughs> she was in utero. She was, my mom was eight months 
pregnant when my dad died and my mom had five kids to bring up, you know, actually six kids after Abby was born to bring up without um, a husband. And she never remarried. She never remarried. She did it. You know, she's a really strong woman. Who's got time for a relationship with five or six kids? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Valerie's daughter, Kitty, still lives in Newport, Rhode Island, Valerie's home before moving to Florida in 2003. She was never the type of person that would, you know, put a lot of money into anything. The story begins to unfold in the fall of 2016, when each of the sisters has separate conversations with their mom, and they begin to hear her mention a letter. Kitty, uh, let me ask you, from your perspective, when did this first come to your attention, that she was being scammed? The first time she mentioned the publisher's clearinghouse was in September. And she said, I got this letter, you know, and all excited. And she said, I think I've won publisher's clearinghouse. And she said, I don't want to go on TV, but, you know, it's, I, I've won one point, whatever it was, million dollars. That's a lot of money. And she kept thinking about the money. And I said, you know, it is, but if, if, uh, if you think in any way that's going to, you know, you don't want to go on TV, you don't need the money, you know, you, you, you're comfortable, and uh, you don't need to be investing at this stage of your life. Um, I, I said, don't, I just said, whatever you do, don't give them any money. Oh, oh, no, I'd never do that, you know. And then it wore off, you know, I didn't hear about it, and then she said it, mentioned it one or two times after that. Um, and I didn't, you know, I just kept repeating myself. Whatever you do, don't give them money, because if they ask for money, it's a scam. And, you know, she kind of went, oh, no, I, I, know, I know that, you know, that kind of thing. Abby tells a similar story. Yeah, I just thought she was just talking about the day-to-day things, like what was in the mail. And I didn't, because everyone knows that those are fake. <laughs> and so I didn't think that she, um, there was a scam. So the sisters are all hearing these stories about a letter from their mom and giving her a little feedback and advice. But then another sister, Dee Dee, who had been out of the country, got a notice from her mom's bank. It was around Christmas time. She was in Italy, and she had been actually notified that her accounts were empty. She called my sister Susie, who then told me at Christmas time. She said, that my mother had gone through her entire savings in this one bank account or maybe two. And that's when I went, what is up? And then we were worried about, like, who she's giving money to and why. You know, she gives money to the church. She gives money to, you know, charities that she likes. But it's never been to a point where she's emptied out her bank account. There was money leaving her account. Like, a lot of money started leaving. There was $10,000 increments being sent. Ohio to this Francis Adams. So Valerie is writing checks to someone named Francis Adams. It was discovered that these checks were being cashed by an elderly couple in Ohio who were presumably being scammed as well. This is all another weird twist in the complex web of a larger scam, but another dead end as the family dug deeper. All I can think of is she was, you know, slipping a little. I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I don't know why and how she ever started writing these big checks, but they really were very good and skilled at what they were doing. So then it was just who and what are they doing? So the sisters, fully aware now that money is disappearing and their mother is being scammed, go into action. We started organizing trips 
and I went down with my sister Suzanne, the one that I was um, at her house. I went down, we, we, we both went down to Florida. We got to her house, and she has a group, she's a very social person, so she has her book club, church friends, and every Thursday night she goes out to dinner with her book club, and every Wednesday night she does something else, and yada yada. Well, that Thursday night, we came in, it was about 8 o'clock, and we decided, you know, we'd just get in the door and, you know, maybe get us something to eat. We knew she was out to dinner, and so we walked in, and she was not out to dinner, and um, she was in a bed, um, looked about, I don't know, 10, 15 years older than the last time I saw her, just absolutely... I don't know what it was about her, but she said, I am not going out to dinner with them. They think I'm being scammed, and I'm not being scammed. So it, to me, looked like some, it was almost like cultish. It was like somebody had gotten into her brain. She is now, you know, not going with her friends, not trusting the people who love her. And, you know, Basically, a guy aged. She was physically and, and and just physically aged so much in that in those six months or whatever that I had seen her last in bed at eight o'clock. It was just bizarre to me. It, it just I looked at Susie and I just went, "What just happened?" You know, and I can only a cult. I, I it almost it almost looked like a kid with a cult. You know, a kid in a cult. It was like that. That crazy. Like you know, she wasn't listening. Wasn't listening to reason. Wasn't listening to the people who loved her. What just just somehow got I don't know brainwashed. She. I think when you when you're that age and you start to um, you start to isolate yourself from your friends and family, your health goes down the hill. But it, it well, it sounds like the people, whoever it was who was doing the scamming on the other end of that phone line, became like her lifeline. It was like everything, nothing else mattered. Nobody else, nobody else mattered. Nothing else mattered. And, and she, she was the only one. She and those people were, were going to save the world, basically. And, you know, she was going to get all this money. She was going to help her sister who was sick. She was going to give us all things. And, you know, we all, I kept saying, Mom, we, we're big kids now. You know, we don't need you to, be, to, to fix our family and fix, our, you know, and, and give us money. You, you just need to enjoy yourself, enjoy your life. The, the trip in January lasted a week. After that one night, we realized we have a lot more than we bargained for. And so we kept trying to get her to open up and she would not. She would go only so far, but would never tell who it was, what she was doing, uh, just that we are going to be really happy one day. And, you know, no, I'm not being scammed. And, and I, you know, I, I, and she would get very you know, very emotional if if we tried to push much further. So that trip, my sister Suzanne um, ended up trying to investigate. The, the, you know, we couldn't really reason with my mother, so it became an investigation of, you know, what what is she doing now? Is she trying to take out loans? Is she trying? And, and, and she was actually trying to get a loan on her house. And so we, we kind of stopped that by talking to the condo association and explaining what's going on and, you know, so we were just trying to play sort of uh, clean up a little bit, you know, damage control. Kitty and Suzanne went back home to their lives, and Abby and Allison picked up on things. Abby likens the visits to a sting operation. We came down together. She was kind of upset um, 
because Allison had been talking to her on the phone telling her that it was a scam, and she didn't want to hear that. And then we actually found the original publisher's clearinghouse thing, and she told me that someone came to the house, and they had a suitcase, a briefcase full of all her prizes that she was going to win. Because what we think happened is like she got the publisher's clearinghouse thing with a phone number. She called back, so they were fishing. She called back, and then this person came to the house, showed her a briefcase full of stuff. And we know it, was, it must have come to the house because she told me about seeing the briefcase full of stuff, but she doesn't go on the Internet, so it wouldn't have been on the Internet. And then um, I know that initially she was telling me that it started out with money orders and small – or not what money orders, wiring and small – wiring, like small amounts of money wired um, to Jamaica. What a really difficult situation for all of you to be in, to be watching this from the outside and not being able to get uh, really very much information from her. Oh, so frustrating. And she, you know, ended up like being so angry at us at the end of our visit. She just like yeah, slammed the door and said, good riddance. And <laughs> That must have been really emotional. I mean, I can't even imagine it. Why, why was she, what was their excuse for her sending her money in the first place? Apparently she had a car in some garage that needed uh, fees for keep storing the, the, the car and people who were working on the car, I guess it was a Mercedes or something. Then just, I believe, and I'm not sure because she was so secretive, I think she was doing a lot of um, going to the bank and withdrawing money and then doing a bank check or Western Union wiring. I don't know how she really did uh, the rest of them, but it seemed to work for her. She seemed to think, you know, this was legitimate. They needed this. They needed that. And again, she wasn't terribly, she didn't tell me a whole lot. The scammers then convinced Valerie to buy them Christmas presents for all the hard work they've been doing for her. Kitty explains. Tell me when you found out. Let's talk about the the jewelry store and what the scammers were asking for. She went down to the jewelry store and with her phone in her hand and the uh, the scammers were on the other end of the phone. She handed the phone to the salesperson and the salesperson basically took the order. It was watches, jewelry, gold chains, a lot of gold chains, uh, gold and, and watches. I don't know whether there were many diamonds. I think it was mainly gold and, and, and watches. This is a woman who used the credit card for an occasional dinner and grocery shopping. She has now racked up in one day a $20,000 bill. That's a loan. Sorry. That's a $20,000 credit card, and you didn't flag it? I mean, you know, this is practically a loan. You're giving a 94-year-old woman a $20,000 loan to buy jewelry. If that isn't a red flag, I don't know what is. Abby says they tell her mom to send the jewelry to an address in Union City, New Jersey. Someone named Germaine, and then cover her tracks. But what the people made her do when we told her that you're being scammed, and she told them that my children think I'm being scammed, um, they made her put... It, all the um, receipts and the information she wrote down about the address and everything into the sink and burn it. <laughs> so burning up stuff that scammers are telling you to uh, do away with on the phone or as far as your mom is concerned, legitimate people. She's in what uh, at AARP they refer to as uh, as the ether. They're under the ether, uh, meaning really reason is out the door. 
Allison, let me get your thoughts on what it was like when you heard that. I assume at some point you heard she had done this with the address. Right. Yeah, Abby told me. And what what did that feel like? What went through your mind, if if you can recall? Well, basically, what you said. I mean, she's she's not herself. She's not acting. I mean, she wasn't herself when we went to visit her. She wasn't acting like herself at all. It's almost like a, being in a cult or being controlled by. I don't know. It, it was just it was shocking to me. In a way, it seems like everything was leading up to those jewelry store receipts, a briefcase full of prizes, money, a television appearance. All of it seems to lead up to this moment of burning the receipts, doing something that seems so strange, but at the same time made sense to their mother. And I asked her, wasn't that a red flag for you, Mom? And I think she she agreed it, it was, but she... Um, I guess I guess she, she just trusted them so much. And it was like this weird thing. If anyone found out about it, then she would lose everything. It was like when you called her on the phone even to talk to her, it, she was distant. Like she was distant. She wasn't the same person that she used to be. She would cut the calls a little shorter and be more like superficial on the phone. But are you still more or less in the dark after your visit? You don't have a lot of information. You said you found the original letter that came from Publishers Clearinghouse, though, right? Yeah, we found, like, it was like a file, one of those accordion paper files. It was like her secret file that she would stash away, and it had all the, everything to do with what she was doing to get the money for these guys. But it was kind of like she was living a secret life, like... Yeah, I think in a way it might have been exciting for her. Did you ever worry about her physical safety? all the time. We had neighbors watching out for her. Like we had, you know, told her neighbors that lived across the street to, you know, call us if they saw any suspicious cars or anything going on. Next time on The Perfect Scam, we'll tell you the drastic steps the sisters take to try and pull their mother back to reality and save her from a relentless scam. So, Frank, we will come back next week for the conclusion of the story of what happens with Valerie. This publisher's clearinghouse scam, uh, maybe not uncommon, and her story, it's, a, it's, it's difficult to listen to, certainly from the perspective of her daughters. Yes, and certainly not uncommon, and unfortunately uh, happens every single day. And it, to me, who's listened to these scams for years and listened to people call me and people who've sent me emails about being scammed in scams like this, it is truly basically a cult. These are people who make their living doing this, and they pick a victim and they stay on the victim till they drain that victim dry, until they can't get any more out of the victim, and then they're gone. What's amazing to me is I know people personally that these things happen to, and it's so frustrating to me. Uh, I have a friend whose father won a Mercedes, but he had to pay so much money in taxes first. And similar to what happened to similar, Valerie, right, where, and, where there's a car waiting right, somewhere. Right, and there's a car waiting, and we'll deliver it. And first of all, the man is extremely wealthy. He doesn't need a Mercedes. He wanted to buy a Mercedes. He could buy 15 of these Mercedes. And he kept sending money, no matter what we said to him, and me, including me, that it was a scam. He just kept sending the money until eventually we had told him that you sent them more money than the actual is cost of the like, car. Yes, literally he did. Sent he more literally than... sent more money than the actual cost of the car. Uh, I have a neighbor next door uh, 
Her husband's a doctor. Her mom lives in Iowa, very intelligent woman. She's 70, won a Jamaican vacation. She kindly realized after she sent money it was a scam, so she called back complaining it was a scam and wanted her money back, and they said, well, listen, if you think it's a scam, you can call this law enforcement agency. Here's their number. And wait, who gave her the number again? The people that were scamming her. Oh, I see. And unfortunately, I she, see. Yeah, she, oh, that's tricky. Yes. She calls it's this obnoxious. Eight, right. She calls this 800 number. And this gentleman answers who claims he was a retired FBI agent, gives her this big story that I, uh, I investigate these things and I'll be happy to come out and talk to you. Uh, you have to pay my uh, travel expenses to come out there. So she sent him a check for $1,500. Uh, he told her he was coming on a certain day, but he couldn't come to her little town. Could he meet her in Des Moines, which was a big city he could fly into? So she drove an hour into town. She waited and waited. He never showed up. So she went back, and then he eventually called her, said, I apologize, had something come up. And he gave his background as being a retired FBI agent. So the folks that live next door to me, because of my relationship with the Bureau, they came to me to ask me, and I said, let me check on it. I went back and said, no, there is no FBI agent by that name, and certainly not one that's been shot and forced to retire. I said, let me just speak to your mother personally. So I got on the phone with her mother. I explained that to her, and the mother said, well, I appreciate that. And I said, if you hear from him again, whatever you do, if you want to talk to him, you want to visit with him on the phone, that's fine, but do not send him any more money. Well, she called back about a week later and said, look, I spoke to him. He called again. He said he just made up that story. He's actually a private investigator out of Maryland, and this is his real name. So I said, well, you know, before you send any more money, let me check on that. So, so, I, so this, this guy's come back with another... Another story. Right. So I called uh, the attorney general's office in Maryland. I know the attorney general there. I asked them to check for me. They said, no, there is no licensed private investigator by that name. So at this point, the mom actually came to visit the daughter next, next door to me. So I personally sat down with her in my own home and said, look, I checked this out. There is nobody in Maryland that's a private investigator with this name. And I said, again, please do not send this man any money. If you want to talk to him on the phone because you're lonely or you want to speak conversation, fine, but do not send him any more money. And what did she seem like when you talked she to her? She said, well, you know, I don't know why he keeps changing the story. I probably won't talk to him again. But a week later, she called me and said she had spoken to him again. Uh, and this time, he, he said it was the same name, but he was living in Maryland, but licensed in New York as a private investigator. So I said, look, I'm going to check one more time for you. Very nice but, of and you. I the said, advantage of having I Frank Abagnale as your right. neighbor. So I, I did check. There was no licensed private investigator. And uh, I told her that. And I said, that's all I can do. I said, this, obviously, this guy is just trying to scam you. And again, all I can say to you is do not send him any money. Uh, that was about three months ago. So when I saw, spoke to the neighbor just a few days ago, she said, no, she's still talking to the guy on the phone. She said, I don't know if he's Come sending on. him any money. My sister and I are trying to watch her bank account uh, to make sure she's not, but she's still talking to him on the phone. So this is uh, a topic, a theme that I th we will be getting more into this season, but it's this idea, and, and one of the daughters mentions it, and you mentioned it as well, feeling of like it's like a cult, but a feeling of where someone is um, is is taken by someone's story, and maybe there's a degree of isolation. We don't know. I'm not commenting on, right. on your neighbor's mother, but there's a connection that someone has with somebody. Maybe there's 
some isolation going on, but there's also maybe a little bit of excitement about the whole thing. But what's so frustrating is that these are intelligent people. So when you sit down and give them written proof that this is not true, it's not what they say, uh, and they still continue to do it, that's when you have to believe that they truly is some type of a cult atmosphere where they're actually taking over the way they think and the way they take all reason goes out the door right and and that it's okay to do this and that's so frustrating when you realize you can't do anything about it well it speaks to the expertise the prowess the skill of the scammer exactly as opposed to you know we underscore it, it can happen to anyone right and as i mentioned to people these scammers are well prepared they they're what work out of boiler rooms it's not just one guy. It's right. five or six people. They have all these various numbers. So if you start to question them, they go, well, why don't you just call here? Or you can call the bank. They have somebody answer and say, this is capital XYZ bank. Uh, yes, let me let you speak to that bank officer. They connect it to the other person who comes on as a bank officer. They're so ready to I go. Verify. I mean, they have all the background checks to convince you that they are who they say they are. I want to talk about a few things. The jewelry store where they make her go or they ask her to go buy Christmas presents. I mean... That's crazy. But, yeah. but, but. Yeah, they're getting to the end of the scam. Okay. So they're basically, what's the last thing I can get? What's the, what else could I do to get from this woman? Right. So they know she has a credit card. She probably has good credit. So they tell her, go buy these things and send it to them. And they're just looking at the last means of what, how they can take the last advantage of her. Well, and the daughters were furious because uh, the, the jewelry store actually lets her go in and buy $20,000 worth of jewelry and then gets a store line of credit for 10000 That's a case where we talk about how there can certainly be store owners, people who are aware of a, an older person or anyone coming in and maybe buying something above their means. We would hope that a legitimate, yes, a legitimate, right. decent person would start to question those things. And that's the, you have to hope that you run across that person. There's a lot of indecent people. That's exactly. Uh, burning the receipts, uh, certainly a red flag like her daughters bring up. But again, she's getting deeper and deeper into this. Right. And, and again, even in the end of all of this scenario, when you've convinced the person that they actually were, in fact, uh, scammed and you have all the proof and documentation was a scam, uh, they still are going to insist they weren't scammed. You know, so that's what I mean. It's, it's, it's simply a taking over your mind that they're able to do. And people don't realize that people are capable of doing that until it's actually happened to them. All right. We'll come back next week, Frank, and share with you and our listeners what happens to Valerie, what the daughters do to try to bring an end to this as they watch their mother fall deeper into the scam. So, uh, again, join us n okay. next week. The ARP Fraud Watch Network Ambassador Frank Abunel, good to have you back. Good to Great be back. Great to be back. Thank you. Great. Please be aware how important it is to the AARP Fraud Watch Network team to educate people about sophisticated scams like the one we heard today so that you and loved ones can recognize scams like this and refuse them. If you or someone you know has been the victim of a scam, you can always call AARP's Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. Again, that's 877-908-3360. For AARP The Perfect Scam, I'm Will Johnson. Just a reminder to all of our listeners and fans, please, uh, if you'd like to vote for us for the Podcast Awards, the People's Choice Podcast Awards, you can go to podcastawards.com. Simply click on Listener Nominations right there on the homepage, and you can nominate our podcast for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Are you 55-plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, 
You can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit americourt.gov slash your moment today.